Hello there, and welcome back to a new episode of the Hype About Reviews with your two hosts straight from the land of the sweaty bollocks. It's Fred Roll and JT. <laughs> Hello there, indeed, everyone. Um, yeah, it's um, very hot and humid here in the good old UK. Um, I'm up north, Fred Roll's down south, and we're both sweating, as he just said. So we've had a couple of weeks off for various reasons, but we are back now, and it was my pick from three weeks ago. So what are we looking at there, Mr. Roll? Well, JT, you chose a film called 71 which was directed by Jan Demarge, I think is his name. Um, it stars Jack O'Connell, Paul Anderson, Richard Dormer, Sean Harris. It came out uh, officially in the UK on the 10th of October 2014, but it premiered at the Berlin Film Festival on the 7th of February 2014. Runs for 99 minutes. It had a budget of 8.1 million, but only saw a box office of 3.1 million. Now, I didn't even know this film really existed i'd actually scrolled through it a few times on netflix but i actually thought it was a netflix movie i didn't even know it went to the cinema let alone had an abysmal box office on that one no i mean it, it lost obviously five million it's not really a box office movie is it we'll obviously go into it um but on the flip side it has a 96 percent rating on rotten tomatoes with an average of 7.8 so it is well received but just not financially yeah, I did see this. Um, it's had good, like, kind of like critical reviews and everything. Um, and the cast is it's okay. There's a few people in there I recognised. Um, they're good, sort of solid, kind of British actors and stuff. But again, like I say, it's not a big cinema movie. It didn't have any big names that would really kind of like draw people in, is it? And it's kind of a, I don't want to say a strange sort of conflict or period of time, but it's more something that's we focus on over here. It's sort of part of our history. It's not kind of a worldwide thing if you know what I mean, with all kind of like the yeah. Irish and English history, you know. Yeah, it's very niche. Um, I mean, I stumbled across it on Netflix. My mum is from Belfast, as I think I said last week, and I said we were doing this. So it piqued my interest in that respect. So I think she moved to London in 67. So it's when the troubles were first starting, I'm not entirely sure of the history of it. This was set in 71, hence the name. Um, so not long before this all was really kicking off, um, we won't go into any political religious views on this podcast, that's not our job, we're going to review the film, so don't think we're going to go down that route, because we're definitely not. You just say now about the actors, I mean Jack O'Connell, he'd been in a few things, he'd been in that Eden Lake film, which I've seen once and always meant to watch again, he was also in Harry Brown, randomly, then he did some sort of usual TV stuff that everyone does, the bill and all that kind of shit, and then he sort of made his name skinned, which I was never a fan of, but that's where I recognise his name from. Oh, fair. Yeah, I was trying to think if I'd recognise them for anything. I have seen an Eden Lake movie, and like you, I've only seen it once. Um, it might be one to review at some point, so it might be interesting to revisit it. But yeah, mm. I did think, oh, have I seen this guy in anything? Um, some of the stuff you listed there, no, I probably haven't watched. But yeah, he did kind of kind of ring familiar slightly. Yeah, Richard Dormer, apparently he plays Eamon in this film, is um, Beric Dondarian in Game of Thrones, which means nothing to me, but probably to you. Uh, I know the character, but he's not actually in it that much. He's probably just like an episode or two. I definitely remember the, the character, but I don't think he was a big character um, in it as such. But yeah, fair play. But then I think loads, pretty much every British actor was in Game of Thrones at one point or another. It fucking had everyone in. Seems to have been, done not it? Wasn't even Ed Sheeran in it at one point. Yeah, he was fucking tosser. What a waste <laughs> of fucking, you know, I don't know. I mean, that was around the shit seasons and, you know, shows how shit they got because they hired Ed Sheeran to be in it. So fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my views echoed there on Ed Sheeran. Um, just before we start a random point, um, although this is set in Belfast primarily, 99.9% of it is, it was shot in Northern England. Um, I don't think any of it was shot in Belfast, probably for obvious reasons. It might still have been a bit touchy. I mean, the troubles aren't over 
in Belfast. They're certainly a lot calmer than they were, but there's big tension over there, so it probably wouldn't have been a good idea to go over there and start shooting this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is one of those sort of like touchy subjects, isn't it? And um, I've always found, again, as JT said, and completely echo that, we're not going to get into the whole, you know, point of view and political angles and all that sort of stuff. But just on that note, um, I'm not an expert on this sort of conflict or anything like that, although I know the broad strokes of it. But I've always found it interesting that um, the two factions of IRA always referred to as like the Protestant and the Catholic, although their issues aren't actually of a religious nature. They are more political, but they've always just been segregated and told you know, Protestant, who I believe are the ones that are a bit more on our side, kind of. And then there's like the Catholics, which are like sort of the hardcore type people, unless I got that the wrong way around. But I just always thought it was a strange thing to divide them by religious kind of entities, when in fact it was more political than anything else. Yeah, I mean, again, we won't go into the politics side of it, but my mum being from Belfast, the Protestants are the, the, the Brits that class themselves as British, um, and the Catholic, uh, the the IRA, the, the the Catholic side, who want to claim Northern Ireland back as part of Ireland, basically. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the, the broad of it. So the Protestants are on the, the Brit side. They they want Northern Ireland to still be part of the UK, Great Britain, and the um, the Catholics and the IRA side of it want it to be back in Irish hands, kind of thing. So that that's pretty much the the basis of it. Oh, there we go. So um, let's have a look at the old synopsis then. As always, we're taking this one from Wiki, and it goes a little something like this. So Gary Hook, a new recruit for the British Army, is sent to Belfast in 1971 during the early years of the Troubles. Under the leadership of an inexperienced second lieutenant Armitage, his platoon is deployed within protect- without protective gear to a volatile area where Irish Catholics, largely Republicans, and Ulster Protestants, largely Loyalists, live side by side. The unit provides support for the Royal Ulster Constabulary and it inspects homes for firearms, uh, shocking Hook with their rough treatment of the Catholic civilians. A crowd gathers to, the pro- as to protest against the search. The soldiers, who are ordered to leave riot gear behind, are ordered to keep the crowd back, but the latter turn violent when they witness the, UR- the RUC beating homeowners in the street. Apologies for tripping over my words. There's a few uh, military terms going on in there, but yeah, that's the start of the movie. JT, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, I mean, it opens up with Hook, he's boxing, isn't he? Um, they're properly battering each other um, in the army boxing. Um, we've done a boxing movie, shameless plug to Rocky, but anyway, that's uh, my shameless plug for the week. And then we get a little montage of them training and everything. I mean, it's done pretty well, it looks quite realistic. I've never been in the army and I couldn't be in the army because A, I'm lazy, B, I'm fat, C, I'm too old, um, I'm diabetic. There's many reasons. Um, I never would have been in the army anyway, so it's never appealed to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it opens up with that and then they get told they're off to Belfast and you sort of get this close-up look at Hook's face and straight away he's not impressed. He's like, we're not going to Germany. No, you're going to Belfast, which is part of the UK, so you're not even leaving the country, which technically is true, although Belfast obviously is over the water, but then so is the Isle of Wight and that's part of the UK. Yeah, yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, yeah, I quite like the way this one opens. Like you say, you see the boxing and the training montage and everything. And um, just to echo that as well, I actually did debate joining the army, but I uh, failed the medical when I left school because uh, my heart condition, but also I'm really lazy and I was quite a uh, goth at the time, so they wouldn't let me wear makeup. So it was no place for me anyway. So <laughs> I ended up going into retail, which is just as you know much of a pain in the ass, but I'm also, as I say, very lazy. So I wouldn't have made it in the army. But it does look cool. Them seeing them run for like, the highlands and do all their, that sort of crazy shit crawling through those tunnels and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, I was about to say, at least in retail, you don't get shot at, but these days you probably do, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we get a little bit before Hook goes off to Belfast. He goes to see his little brother, Darren, I think his name is. We don't really find out the backstory of that, do we? And that's how I missed it. I mean, I've seen this film three times now. I paid more attention to it earlier for this review. Um, he's in some kind of home, but I, I don't know if I missed something every time I've seen this, but we don't really know why, unless you saw anything. No, I, I was actually thinking that, and I'm glad you, you haven't clocked it yet, because like, at first I was like, so is that his son or whatever? I don't know what the relationship mm. is there. And he goes in, there's like some bloke, isn't there? He, you see him sort of out with his, his brother, isn't it? And he's sort of doing his stuff. And then the guy comes back and goes, ah, kids have got to be back by 10, and this guy's like a right sort of grumpy bastard. And I was thinking, you know, people are miserable these days because life's shit, but Back in the 70s, people were miserable when they got paid for it. So I don't know why who's got the better fucking deal right at the moment. But he's a proper miserable bastard and he gets a bollocking later on. But yeah, that whole bit I thought it was good because it's obviously showing a bit of trying to show a bit more of like his kind of depth. But um, I thought that was his son at one point. I didn't actually clock or get what was going on and why he, whoever it was, his brother was in this. I don't even know what it was supposed to be, like a home or a didn't look like a boarding school or anything like that. No, I thought it was his son the first time I saw it. Um, but then, uh, to be fair, I think it might have even been when I was going through this with the synopsis, I was like, oh, it is his brother. I was a bit unsure whether it was or not. He's quite a bit younger than him. Um, I'm assuming something's happened to the parents. It looks like a children's home or something he's in, but he's only in it very briefly. He's in it at the end as well, spoiler alert. Um, but then they, off they go to Belfast. We get a little montage again of them sort of getting there, and there's some dark music playing. I like the, the soundtrack mix. David Holmes did the soundtrack. He's like a producer from Belfast um, and I used to like his stuff back in the 90s he did quite a lot of dance music um, and he, he did the soundtrack for this there's no real proper there's no recognising music in it at all it's all done for this film um, and I quite liked it as well and they arrive in Belfast you've got the old corporal who reminded me a bit of a poem he's full of himself and doing the old fucking cliched sayings and then the lieutenant comes in and he's like yeah I'm a bit of a new boy as well you can tell he's really nervous yeah, yeah, I did like that. And that's one thing I thought, and I've said it before in some of the films we've done, um, like when it comes to doing like these sort of like war movies or like conflict type movies, I like it. The bleaker they are, I like it because it kind of draws you into like what's going on. I don't like the ones that are all flashy because I feel like they kind of take away from what the story is actually trying to tell you. And I think over here in um, like Britain and like European movies, I think we do the kind of just that cold kind of, I don't know, just like I say, bleak type movie. We do it really well. That's one of the things. One of the things we're really, really good at compared to the Americans, because Americans, no offense to you, make some great movies, but they're all very Hollywood and they're flashy and all that shit. Whereas I prefer these type of movies to be just a bit more gritty and kind of eerie. And I think it, um, the way it was shot, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, we've said that with quite a few of the British movies we've done, and again, it's probably due to the fact we're British as well, which helps. But <laughs> yeah, we definitely do have a style, um, no matter what the sort of movie is. It, I don't know, we just like to make things dark. Maybe we're all miserable over here, I'm not really sure. Um, and I'll tell you, another reason I couldn't have been in the army, when they first walk into the barracks and it's just row upon row of fucking just little camp beds, and I'm like, I could not sleep there. Fuck that. Um, no. And then obviously, Hook can't sleep, so he goes outside and he's talking to the corporal, gives him a cigarette, and then we get our first sort of view of the MRF guys and our fucking, what's his name? The, the main guy Totally forgotten Browning, isn't it? His fucking hair and his moustache are just so 70s. They're amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And that bloke, he's a great actor. He's in fucking everything. I swear, whenever there's like a gritty, um, like British show or movie, then he's like a right miserable bastard in it who can actually pull off playing the character. 
he's in it, but he's also in loads of Hollywood stuff. Like he was in Prometheus, he's been in Mission Impossible, he's been all over the place. He's just fucking turns up and everything, but he's brilliant in everything he's in, to be fair to him. But yeah, the hair and the mustache is like, fuck now, you're like, I don't know, like a bad day away from being Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Let's not go down that route. Um, yeah, he. Yeah, I, I saw he was in Prometheus, never shame his blood. We've done that very many moons ago. Um, but yeah, he's great, isn't he? And just the whole look. I mean, I've said before, and I think you've echoed it, that I love 70s and 80s films anyway. And there's the little touches like that. You see the, the suit that he's wearing or the leather jacket. I can't remember what he's actually wearing now. And his hair and his moustache. The bit where... Um, Hooks with his son and their, well, his brother, sorry, and they're playing football, and that old brown leather football. There's just little bits here that hark back to the 70s. I mean, I wasn't even born in 71, but I do love that kind of era of the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking that in some of the like the sort of Belfast streets. I mean, I've never been to Belfast, and obviously 70s before my time, but I can appreciate the look and feel that they went for, and it does have that authentic kind of vibe to it. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, I really like the way this is shot, and I just like that time period there's something about it if I could go back in time that would probably be the time period I'd go to is like the 70s yeah and just going back to the MRF boys um, Corporal says to Hook you know we don't get involved with them don't you know they're not anything to do with us we get that a little bit then we get a mission briefing they sort of give a very brief outline of what's going on in Belfast at the moment they mention the Divis flats and they've been pretty much taking over by the IRA and they're pretty much a no-go area and they do play quite a big part at the end um, and then we get the bit, as a synopsis said there, the lieutenant says, I, I don't want you to go and ride here. I want you in berets. I want you to look sort of welcoming. And they're like, oh, shit. I mean, you know, it doesn't turn out well for them, does it? It doesn't, yeah. And straight away, I mean, you probably guess anyway, if you know anything about, like, the situation at this sort of point in time. But it's like they're in their, they're in their fucking... Right again, it looks really weird. I know it's old school and everything, but it's like a bunch of wood lice all fucking stood there with their little bloody <laughs> jackets and their helmets on. But it's like, he's like, Oh, yes, yes, you know, we want to go there, we want berets on and everything, we want the people to like us. And it's like, You're in a fucking conflict zone, you bell end, you know. Granted, yeah, you want to go there and give reassurance, but you know, you're not going to look very good on the 10 o'clock news if all your blokes get blown up. No, not at all. And again, the way this is shot when they arrive at the place and it's on fire pretty much, there's burning cars, there's a bus, I think that would like a bus on fire. And then there's those little kids, isn't there, just chucking piss at them and stuff, going, you're not fucking welcome here, you Brits, get the fuck out. And, like, it cuts the hook and he's laughing. I'm not sure I'd be laughing if someone was trying to piss at me and telling me to go away. I mean, they're only kids and everything, but they, they can't retaliate, can they, because they're kids? Exactly, yeah, and that's just the fucking... Like, I always just find this kind of stuff sh- stupid, like, these kind of, like... Again, I'm not going to go, like, get too much into anything, but all around the world and everything, when these conflicts happen, it's like you're teaching hate to kids and everything like that. And they're running around like, there's a little kid who comes up in a minute who's a complete fucking nutter, but he's kind of a good guy for the parties in the movie and stuff. But um, yeah, you just imagine like raising your kids with that much hatred and like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, here's our street and there's like a fucking bombed out double-decker bus one end. There's another fucking car on fire the other end. Everything's just got like fucking shit all over the place. It's like, you know, it's just fucking, it baffles me. I don't know. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> People who want to sort of live that way. No, not at all. Um, but that's their cause, isn't it? The hell bent yeah. there. Um, and then the RUC, the, the police turn up and they've got some heavily armed vehicles and they kind of, I wouldn't say rescue them because they're not under any major threat, but they sort of escort them out of the area. And we get a shot of, from inside the Land Rover looking out and there's fucking shit all over the windscreen and everything that's been thrown up and it's grim. It is. And these police are fucking bellends as well. I mean, they're like yeah. Irish police and everything. Obviously, the Brits are the sort of soldiers who have come across to help out. But they're like 
pricks here when they turn up and then they just fuck off later when the shit hits the fan and just leave the boys to it. It's like, guys are absolute wankers. And then obviously, as the synopsis said there, like they kind of escort them down the street and everyone starts like banging fucking trash can lids. And that would just freak me out anyway. So like all that noise is obviously there just obviously let people like everyone know that the, you know, the authorities are here, the Brits are here and they're not wanted. But um, just that noise would make you feel so fucking uneasy. So the police go into the house and they're really strong arm and all these people like being absolute pricks. And obviously leave the soldiers outside to try and hold the peace. Then this whole fucking mob just starts swarming down on them. And it's like, the way it's shot, you kind of get a bit tense watching it. It's just like, man, that's just like, you're just waiting for one thing to go off because something like that would just escalate so quickly. Yeah, it's very well shot. Um, I thought thought it's almost like on a handy cam, isn't it? Just panning around. Um, And it, I mean, obviously it's not real, but it does feel almost real. I mean, I've never been in that situation, certainly not in 1971, but... It did feel real to me. It's just very well shot. And again, very gritty and very British. Yeah. I mean, having, um, again, wasn't a live drone this time, but growing up, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on um, on the news in the sort of like late 80s, early 90s and stuff. And having seen historical footage of these sort of periods in time, it did just look like it was like archive footage. And actually, I think when they first go to Belfast, it's like this wide panning shot. And that must have been archive footage because obviously this film was filmed a bit more recently, but the quality in picture dipped quite a bit. And I thought, yeah, that's obviously an old school archive footage of what Belfast used to look like in this period of time. Yeah, I read actually on IMDb. Um, and I don't know if it was that shot or not, but it was one of the shots they, they did of Belfast. It wasn't even Belfast. It was, um, I can't remember what the city was. It might have even been Liverpool. Um, so it's a bit strange, but I mean, I wouldn't have known. So, but yeah, there's a couple of things in it. Obviously, I said at the start, this wasn't even filmed in Belfast for obvious reasons. But yeah, I mean, I've never been, even though my mum's been, it's from Belfast. I've always meant to go over and I will at some point. But I mean, I wouldn't have known it wasn't Belfast if I hadn't read that. No, no, I wouldn't have had a clue unless you just said it there. So fair play to whoever uh, put that shot together. So uh, one soldier is hit by a rock and drops his rifle to the ground. In confusion, a young boy seizes it and runs off through the mob. Hook and another soldier, Thompson, pursue him. As the crowd protest escalates, the soldiers and police pull out, leaving the two soldiers behind. Hook and Thompson are severely beaten and disarmed by the mob until a sympathetic woman manages to calm things down. However, Thompson is suddenly shot dead at point-blank range by a provisional IRA gunman, Paul Haggerty. Hook flees through the streets and back alleys and hides in an outdoors carsey. Uh, yeah, that bit sort of like kicks off a bit quick, doesn't it? But like they send Hook, don't they? It's like, oh, go and tell your sergeant we need more men out here because they're losing control. And he goes in and like the police are like battering some fucking geezer. They're screaming at some woman who's trying to obviously, she's sat there with two kids, aren't they? Like, where are the fucking guns and all that stuff? Um, and then his sergeant comes out. He's about as fucking useful as a wet fart on a hot day. Absolutely <laughs> fucking bell end, didn't he? He does absolutely nothing. Everything starts kicking off. The police just fuck off and leave the soldiers to it. And these two get sort of like left behind. Yeah, I mean, he gets hit by a brick, the sergeant, doesn't he? Um, which is pretty full on. It just pretty much smacks him to the ground. And then yeah, it all kicks off. The, the kid nicks the gun. Um, Hook and old Tomo run off. They get absolutely fucking beaten to shit, don't they, by a mob. Until um, that woman comes and pulls them off and tells them to fuck off, basically. And then that was a genuine holy shit moment when Tomo gets his fucking head blown off because I was not expecting that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And 
Like you said, they're, like, they're getting stomped for fucking ages. Obviously, they're not wearing body armor or anything because they were told not to. I'm surprised they would have fucking survived that because um, there's like six, seven mm. people like properly fucking levering them. And then, yeah, like that fucking... And he's an absolute greasy little shit as well. And he's like proper kind of like movie villain who's got a face that only a punch could love. And um, <laughs> he, he does. He walks up and he fucking blasts old Thomas and Rachel. And I said, God, I hope that guy gets fucking ruined later. He's a little prick. It's like, well, he's only been on screen two minutes, but I agree. So... yeah. <laughs> But it's the way he's sort of walking towards him with the gun. And I, I didn't think he was going to do it. It's just the way it's shot as well. Again, it's very fucking realistic. Mm. He just splats him and he goes down, obviously, like he would. You just had your fucking face blown off. And then I thought the chase as well, when um, old uh, Hook, he's being chased by the two guys. And, um, I mean, this is definitely a gaffe. And I got it in my notes and I did look on IMDb. I mean, that pistol fires 32 shots. It's just fucking non-stop firing at him. Um, and apparently the maximum any pistol in that time would have held would, would have been 13. Bearing in mind they've just blown poor old Tomo's face off and then it, they're just constantly fucking shooting it uh, up as he's running off. That's mental because I thought he actually had a revolver. So I thought, man, that's a lot of shots for someone that's only holding six bullets really. But even so, like you say, a pistol, that's just fucking ridiculous. There's a bit here and I was like, I said to Rach, I was like, he's a fucking idiot here because I'm... Um, he hides, doesn't he? And then old uh, matey boy, the shooter guy, comes around the corner and he sort of clocks him with a pipe and knocks him down. And then he just runs off. It's like, mate, I'd have just fucking kept swinging at him. I'd have, like, you know, fighting for your life, basically. I'd have fucking twatted him in the head. I would have taken his gun to start with because he runs off down this corridor and the guy just kind of gets up and starts shooting at him again. I thought, no, if you're putting him down, you fucking make sure he stays down if he's got a gun. Yeah, he does miss the trick there a bit, doesn't he? I mean, like as the synopsis said there, he ends up in a car I mean, what a fucking first day he's had. Let's be honest, it's been a bit of a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I've had some shit first days at work, but it ain't been that bad. Yeah, right. It's like, join the army. No, you're right, mate. I'll, I'll leave it to you. <laughs> There's another reason why I wouldn't. We do get a little scene here. We sort of hooks in the cars. He's sort of hiding, breathless as you would be, but obviously trying not to make any noise. And we get a scene with Boyle, Quinn and Sean. Sort of, so Boyle's the head of the IRA, pretty much, and... Uh, Quinn and Sean are sort of the, the provisional IRA guys and they sort of Boyle basically tells them to fucking go home and leave it but um, little Sean he goes home but the other lot they want to go after the um, hookster don't they they're like no we're going after the Brit and they fuck off behind Boyle's back yeah they're like kind of a bit more kind of like hardcore kind of I don't know obsessive people aren't they the guy who plays Sean I can't remember his name it's I got a bit of a weird name but he's been doing a ride from South. he's actually playing the Joker at the moment. He was the Joker at the end of the Batman, um, the latest Batman movie of like all the fucking Batmans that keep coming out. Um, and he's done a few other bits and pieces, but I don't know if he even has any dialogue in this. I know he's in it a fair bit, but he just kind of mopes around in the background. I don't know if he actually says anything in the movie. He doesn't say a lot. There's one bit, I think, when he, he goes home to get the guns, doesn't he? And his mum's like, sure, what are you doing? He's like, I'm getting the guns. That's pretty much all he says in the whole film, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, because I think he's doing homework with his little sister or something as well, isn't he? Like, he's, like, teaching her something. But, yeah, that might just be his only line. Otherwise, he just walks around looking like, you know, based like a slapped ass, really. But he's quite an interesting character, because you can tell he's kind of... He wants to be part of the cause. He, he thinks he's kind of in the cause, and that's what he should do. But, obviously, he hasn't got... He doesn't really pull the trigger on anyone. He's not fully invested. So he's a bit of a conflicted character, isn't he, as the film goes on? Yeah, I mean, we see these characters quite a lot in these films that, you know, they're really big bollocks until it turns up, you know, you need to fucking prove yourself now, and they don't, which is fair, because I wouldn't be able to do it, but then I wouldn't be swinging my dick around anyway, saying I was the bollocks that he reckons he is. No, definitely not. <laughs> so, after Hook leaves, he wanders into the Shanhill estate, 
a foul-mouthed Protestant youngster takes Hook to a local pub and serves as a front for the loyalists. There, Hook glimpses a loyalist group in the back room constructing a bomb under the guidance of Sergeant Lewis, a member of the MRF, the British Army's covert counterinsurgency unit. Hook stops outside the pub just before an enormous explosion destroys the building. Unaware that the loyalist bombers have blown themselves up accidentally, the provisional IRA and official IRA factions accuse each other of being responsible for the bombing. Hook staggers away and, gains, um, and again gets lost in the streets, eventually collapsing. Two Catholics, Eamon and his daughter Bridget, discover that he lies in the street unconscious and is injured and they take him home. Eamon, a former army medic, stitches Hook's wounds. Despite the provisionals having recently taken control of the area from the IRA, Eamon contacts senior IRA officer Boyle for help, expecting a more humane solution than the provisionals would allow. Boyle, less radical and violent than his younger provisional members, tells Captain Browning, leader of the local MRF section, of Hook's whereabouts and asks in return that Browning kill James Quinn, a key leader of the younger provisional IRA faction. Bit of a mouthful, that bit there. So uh, It was, well done. Cheers. Um, yeah, the movie's kind of like, this is like the crux of the movie now, isn't it? This kind of central bit. Um, but yeah, he meets that little kid and he's just like fucking mouthing off and effing and blinding all over the place, isn't he? I think he's um, he's quite funny. He's annoying, but in a funny sort of way. And the kid who plays him, I think it's great. Um, I don't think we ever learned this kid's name. Um, and I've always thought this, and I think we might have discussed it before, maybe on the podcast, maybe off air. Um, but when you've got kids his age, I don't know how old he is, he can't be much more than 12, playing these parts, and he's effing and blinding. He's like, oh, come on, you fucking ball bag, and things like that, which is hilarious. But, you know... <laughs> I mean, the parents are probably thinking like my son's earning money and everything, but and I'm sure they don't let the kids watch these films back. But it's just weird, isn't it, when you've got kids effing and blinding and running about in these films? Yeah, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's also like, do you understand exactly what your character is kind of portraying and the situation they're in right now? Because obviously he's part of the, his cause, isn't he, and everything, and part of the IRA and all that sort of stuff, and um, doing bits and pieces. But it's like, how much of that kid, as an actor, understand? like what the movie was portraying obviously he probably thought he was having a good time because he got to dress up and swear at everyone but um yeah it's just a bit of a weird one isn't it because they meet some geezers he's like escorting him back he goes oh you're a soldier i'll take you back to me pub um and they meet some people who are just standing in the streets and um one of them's like trying to have a bit of a laugh and a joke he's like oh, do you know the fuck i am my uncle's such and such and the guy shits himself so i see him obviously everyone knows not to mess with him that's why he sort of swears so much yeah i mean his uncle is the guy who's in the pub um, who the, the MRF guy's giving the bomb to. Um, so, I mean, I think they're the UFF, the Ulster Freedom Force, or one of the, the loyalist groups anyway. So the ones who are on the Brit side, I don't know which part it is, so there's a few of them, basically the opposite of the IRA. But, yeah, I, I thought he plays it really well, this little kid. Um, and the pub they go into, I mean, it's a proper fucking 70s shithole, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Brown carpets. <and> <laughs> obviously... The, the kid and um, Hook, Hook, Jimmy, I can say Jimmy, his name's not Jimmy, I don't know where I got that from. The kid opens the door and Hook sees the bomb being made and um, old uh, matey boy from the MRF clocks him and then he, he sort of goes back out and he said, this always makes me laugh in films as well. He takes him back out into the bar and he's like, do you fancy a drink? And Hook's like, yeah, I bet he could do with a fucking drink after the day he's had. And uh, the MRF guy just goes, two pints please, two pints of what? Do you know what I mean? Vodka, beer, fucking wine. It's just two pints. And then Barman actually knows what he wants. And they always yeah. do this in these films. And I'm sure it's because, you know, they don't want a product placement or whatever. But it just always makes me laugh when they order two pints and get what they want. 
Yeah. Although maybe back in the 70s, there's only probably one point you could get in somewhere like that. <laughs> Not to know, it'd just be fucking Guinness, wouldn't it? But um, wherever it is, it's fucking black. I tell them that. What I couldn't make what they were drinking, but it's an old school um sort of um pint glasses on the big fat ones. Um, I quite like those. That sort of bit classic. Big jugs, yeah. I'm yeah. more of a straight glass man myself, but um, yeah. And then again, it cuts back into the the room where they're making the bomb, or they've got the bomb, and um, I'm th- straight away I'm thinking. He's smoking around this bomb. That's not a good fucking idea, is it? And he's like, come on, let's take this now, do the fucking job, and then we can get back for the darts. Um, this next bit is holy shit moment number two. Because fucking Hook goes out, well, the little kid comes out and says to Hook, where's the soldier gone? Hook's like, I don't know, he's, he's gone off somewhere. And we do get a little scene where um, the MRF guy goes off to his other guys, Browning and, and the other, and he's like, right, there's a bloody soldier now. I've got his dog tags. This is... um. Sergeant Hook, or no, Private Hook, or whatever he is, and they're like, "Has he seen you make the bomb?" And he's like, "I don't know, I don't think so." And then, um, obviously, the pub just fucking goes up as the snots just said there. And the way it's done, I thought looked fucking properly realistic. Hooks outside, the kid turns around to him and says, "What are you doing?" And the fucking pub just blows up, and it doesn't cut away. You almost see the kid go with it. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I was like, "Fucking hell!" Yeah, no, you literally just see, like, say you got. Um, obviously from the front you got Hook sort of stood by the door just sort of looking around and like you say the kid just goes oh um, says something and then just goes up like I say like, he blows up like the fucking barman he goes and everything and I think in the background because obviously Hook gets blown forward and rolls around and it's got a kind of distorted effect and I think someone kind of staggers out and then collapses don't they but fuck me yeah it was shot by so brilliant actually kind of made me kind of like, like oh fucking hell I wasn't expecting that but the bit that did make me laugh is um before obviously the two clumsy fuckers with the bomb set it off, um they're putting it in the back and it's like, how are you going to get up in the morning? You're not going to get your alarm clock back because obviously you use the alarm clock <laughs> fucking detonate. And I was like, fuck you know, what a bunch of idiots. I mean, there aren't many funny moments in this film, but yeah, that is a sort of a bit of a chuckle moment, isn't it? But the next scene is just fucking brutal. I mean, Hook goes back in, he's staggering about shot in almost I think it's pretty much slow-mo it's not normal speed anyway you've got the the ringing sound like a flashbang's gone off in Call of Duty um there's some sort of music playing eerily underneath it and he carries I'm assuming the, the kid out with no fucking arms it is the kid isn't it he carries out it's horrendous yeah yeah I believe so it's just fucking oh it's gruesome isn't it it's like, it's like some of the scenes at the start of fucking saving private ryan all fucking limbs and shit hanging off and everything but yeah like he kind of staggers out and then i say he kind of slowly goes down the street and everything and eventually kind of um sort of like collapses and stuff and that's when old amen and his daughter bridget find him um and obviously just decide to take him back to their uh their flat don't they they haven't really got much well they have got choice i suppose they could have left him there but the humane side comes out even though he's on the opposite side to them um we get a little, obviously, scene as well where Boyle meets the provisional IRA guys in the pub and this is where, the, as the synopsis said there, they both blame each other for setting the bomb off and actually it wasn't either of them. Um, but it's quite tense, isn't it? Boyle basically says, you know, what the fuck were you doing today? Was it you? And they're like, no, we're going after the Brit. And he's like, well, I told you not to fucking go after him. He's like, I can't protect you next time this shit goes off. And there's definitely a massive a lot of tension between those guys. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's really well um played out as well, because like, you've got like, the younger guy who's obviously all kind of like up in fucking... He's doing it because he wants to prove himself. And obviously, you've got the more... You know, we see it all the time, don't you? It's like the older guy who knows about keeping the try and balance and trying to keep the peace and everything like that. 
Um, and you know something's going to go off between them, but it is a really good scene. It does kind of set up like what's going to happen next because now it's kind of just like a fucking hide-and-seek movie, isn't it? Everyone's looking for a bloody hook who ends up in old Eamon and Bridget's care and um, obviously gets patched up and everything, but he's kind of here and you've got people looking all over the place for him. You've got the so the MRF guys, they're obviously up to no good and doing all their fucking weird stuff and then you've got two factions of IRA looking, at, looking for him. I mean, I wouldn't want to be yeah. in his fucking shoes. <laughs> not right now. I mean... You'd think the MRF guys are looking for him for a good reason, but they're not. Um, shock horror, because he's obviously seen them make the bomb. Although they think that he's dead, don't they? There's another little clip of him in the in the car, an old um, Browning. He's like, "Is he alive?" And he, the other guy's like, "No one could have fucking survived that." So they kind of think he's dead. Obviously, both factions of the IRA want him dead. Eamon and Bridget are kind of like, "We're helping this guy, but we really shouldn't be." And um, a nice little movie 101 though convenient that Eamon was actually a medic an ex-army medic but we do get someone else being patched up and whiskey being poured over them we saw that a couple of weeks ago in our dog soldiers shameless plug uh one there but he's not being super glued together he's actually being stitched together here but i will say it did make me cringe when you see that needle go in and Eamon stitching it back together i thought like, oh that's pretty fucking horrible yeah yeah it is, isn't it? and maybe you know that's just how they they really do stuff i mean he didn't have his sausages hanging out like he did in dog so <laughs> <laughs> obviously this is not a uh, tongue-in-cheek movie as such it's a bit more kind of gritty and uh depicted but yeah fair play obviously like i say movie 101 the people who find him just happen to be a medic who can sort of patch him up and everything not just anyone else so fair play but yeah it's pretty tense and like i say it just becomes a bit of a kind of hide and seek movie but all the kind of pieces of the puzzle are coming together now because like you say the MRF guys, they're all kind of up to no good because they've obviously been doing some shady shit and they don't want anyone to find out. So they're kind of hoping he's dead and don't want people to find him. Because a bit when they're sort of back at the office and um, um, Faye Capone comes in, doesn't he? And he's like, oh, can you help us find our guy? And they hand over the dog tags and like, Look, we don't know if he's alive or dead. It's a bit dodgy, blah, blah, blah. So fuck off. And they obviously sort yeah. of walk off. Um, so obviously they're obviously just being dodgy bastards, aren't they? As we find out later on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, they're absolute wankers, aren't they? They're like, they come in, they're like, why aren't you looking for him? He's like, we haven't got fucking time to look for him. He's your man. You go and look for him. We've already had to do extra shit we shouldn't have had to do because of him. Is he alive or dead? That is something we do not know. But and he just hands <laughs> in the dog tags, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does make a good point, the MRF guy. He's like, well, you fucking left him behind, which is fair. So yeah. I would have thought like the army would be like, leave no man behind or you know, check everyone's ear before we roll out or anything like that. But um, they just sort of fucked off and left him. Yeah, no, he has got a point. I mean, they are they are assholes, but they've got their own thing to do. Um, and there's one, I'm not going to repeat it, but while Eamon's patching up um, Hook, and he's like, yeah, I was in the army too. And he's lying in his view of the army. I'm sure you know the one I'm on about. Not yeah, yeah. We might get cancelled. Um, there's a few C words in it, basically, and it... it Again, it's one of those sort of lines. There's not many in this film that did make me smile. Yeah, no, it is really good. And it delivered really well as well. Like a lot of kind of like authenticity and everything. So I did like that line. And like you, I probably, I was going to make a note of it. I thought, well, I can't say it. So there's no point in me fucking writing it down, is there? (laughs) (laughs) No, and then sort of Bridget sort of asked Hook, I think it might even be the next morning. There's an NME magazine or paper as it was back then next to the bed and David Bowie's on the front cover and she asked him if he likes David Bowie. Apparently that was never an issue that was made for the film. Uh, another IMDb fact there. That's not actually a real issue. It's a fake issue. And then the next question she asked him, she's like, have you got a girlfriend? I'm like, are you just making small talk or are you genuinely liking this guy? You only met him yesterday. But 
I would imagine it's just small talk because obviously she's on the opposite side of the fence politically, religiously, and it would never work anyway. So I'm assuming it's just small talk. Yeah, I was thinking it's hard. Where is this going? I thought, I hope they don't throw like some random romance in because the way he's like led on the bed, obviously he's recovering and stuff. And she's kind of stood there like, oh, do you like David Bowen? He's like, no, no, he's for the girls and all that stuff. And she goes, you've got a boyfriend. And I thought, fucking hell, you're just going to like jump on his neck, uh, on his fucking dick and clap some cheeks out of the blue. It's going to be fucking ridiculous, isn't it? But luckily it doesn't go that way. No, I mean, I don't think he'd have been able to do anything anyway. But yeah, I thought maybe she's just going to give him a cheeky little kiss or something. But luckily she doesn't. Um, I mean, she turns out to be a bit of a bitch towards him in the end. Um, we'll get to that being the synopsis. But, yeah, it's, yeah, it didn't happen, thank God. Um, and it kind of shows up how dodgy and messed up this whole situation is. You've got the IRA, the provisional IRA, fighting with each other. The MRF kind of going behind the army's back and doing shit, you know, trying to set up the Protestant side of it but with the bomb and everything. So everyone's kind of in fighting with each other, aren't they? <laughs> I think this did a um, a good um, kind of visualisation of that. The way everyone says, like, yeah, you're all supposed to be bitter enemies, but you're all, like, fucking tugging each other off in the corner for, like, favours and everything like that. So it's like, you're all just as fucking stupid as each other, aren't you? You're fighting all these wars, people are dying, your families are dying, but you're all, like, fucking in bed with each other when you need it. So what's the whole fucking point? But, you know, again, that's yep. not trying to get too political, but it's like, surely that's just every fucking war and it's just a bunch of dickheads, you know, making stupid decisions that affect loads of other people. Yeah, and I'm sure this stuff is going on. Um, I mean, I don't know how realistic this film is. I mean, it looked pretty realistic to me, but I've never gone into the, the depths of what is going on or what was going on. Um, and then... Fred, I'm just, just you saying that, sorry to cut in there, but um, yeah, I did read um, on Wiki, it said that a lot of the praise came from the authenticity of the situation that was presented in this movie. I don't know if it is like scene for scene, flight stuff like that, but it was praised quite heavily for its authenticity of like depicting the situation. So yeah, maybe it's quite accurate. That's what was going on. I can imagine it certainly is. I mean, there, there was no point in this film where I thought that's not particularly realistic. Um, and then obviously one bit here though, I did think Hook finds that knife and he, he gets out of Eamon's flat. He gets out pretty easily, doesn't he? He finds a knife in the back yeah. and he just sneaks off. And there's only Eamon and Bridget in the flat. I mean, it's not really, I don't know if they're watching TV or anything, but he just sort of sneaks off and no one kind of notices. I did think that was, I wouldn't say your weak point, but certainly one of the weaker points of the film. Yeah, yeah. Again, sort of movie 101 type thing, wasn't it? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I just happened to find exactly what I need and sort of sneak out the back door because the guards are fucking useless. But um, not that they're sort of like, proper guards or anything but just before we move on obviously we get the whole conversation like where like obviously um what's his name like browning and that are discussing it's like i want you to kill james quinn so it's like we touched on there so i need you to kill one of my ira guys because he's getting a bit too fucking larry and in return you can find this guy but they think he's going to rescue him and he's actually going to just try and kill him and stuff and it's just it's really well shot and i do like the way that kind of like everyone's agenda was starting to be kind of unveiled here because at first you're like are the mrf guys are they good are they bad but no they're just wankers <laughs> yeah pretty much everyone in this film apart from hook bless him he's a wanker yeah <laughs> it does seem to be the case doesn't it so um it does. so uh quinn and his squad have uh tailed boyle since the pub explosion and saw him visit Eamon's flat without knowing why he was there sensing danger Hook flees the flat, taking a large knife he finds in a bag, as JT just alluded to. Yeah, sorry, Hook I got ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Hook eludes Quinn's men, but unable to evade Haggerty, stabs and kills him. He's a little bastard who shot Thompson earlier on, so I'm glad he died. Um, yeah. Quinn's group captures Hook and takes him to a hideout. 
Quinn orders Sean, the young boy who, in the early neighborhood uh, persecution, has hesitated to kill Hook to murder him. When Sean hesitates, Quinn prepares to execute Hook, only to leave when Browning's group arrives. Sergeant Lewis of Browning's group shoots Sean, to Hook's horror. Lewis then attempts to strangle Hook to prevent him from informing others about the bomb. As Lieutenant Armitage and his men enter the in support of Browning, Armitage sees Lewis attempt to kill Hook. Sean, having survived the first shot, raises himself and shoots Lewis in the head, before being shot again, this time fatally by Armitage. Browning finds Quinn and rather than arresting or executing him, tells him Boyle wants him dead and needs to be dealt with. As Quinn leaves, Browning tells him he will be in touch soon. And then just to wrap things up, Hook has returned to his barracks. Later, despite a formal complaint by Armitage, the commanding officer dismisses the incident involving Hook. Lewis and Sean as a confused situation that merits no further inquiry. Hook returns to England, throwing his dog tags from the ferry and is reunited with his younger brother. This whole end bit was pretty... um. Goes a bit full on, doesn't it? Really, like he's sneaking out of the flat. He shanks old matey boy as he comes around a corner and actually makes sure he's dead this time and takes his gun. Then gets caught by the other two and taken. They say to a hideout, but that's the pub that blew up earlier, isn't it? Is that where they take him? No, I think it is a hideout on on the estate. I'm not really sure. You don't really see you see them go into this place. It is a pub, definitely, um, but I don't think it's one they blew up because that was a loyalist pub and this this would be an IRA pub. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, good shout, yeah. It might have been the pub that Boyle was in when they had that little sort of conflict when he, you know, he basically said, I can't protect you guys anymore. It could be that pub, um, but it certainly is a pub of some sort. It might even be an, an empty one. There's no one in there. Um, but there's a few scenes in here. I mean, when Hook gets out of the flat, like I say, rather easily, anyway, he's sort of staggering around a bit because he's bleeding out and... Um, he looks over the balcony and he sees the fucking the prov guys arrive, the prov IRA. I'll be like, for fuck's sake, you know, my day's just getting worse and worse here, isn't it? And then the bit where he, he does kill Haggerty, I, I thought that reminded me of Manhunt. Yeah. Like Haggerty's sort of, sort of round the corner, Hook sticks his head around, sees him, he's like, shit, so he gets the knife out. And he proper shanks him. And again, that's quite gnarly. It's just a one-stab kill, but obviously gets him right in the, the right or the wrong place, depending on which way you see it. And as you say there, he, he does make sure he's dead this time. But yeah, it just reminded me of Manhunt, that little section. Yeah, it's a good show, actually. Yeah, Manhunt, what a game. Um, but yeah, it definitely is. And then, obviously, um, after he gets captured, we see old like, Boyle and um, Prometheus guy and all that lot. They go into the flat looking for him, don't they? And um, old fucking Prometheus bloke, he's getting really pissed off, old moustache, isn't he? He's like, got aiming on the floor of his fucking gun to his head. And he's bollocking Bridget. And he's like, look, I'm going to shoot him. And then I'm going to shoot you. And believe me, I don't want to do that, but I will, type thing. Until she obviously spills her beans and says that they came and um, that he escaped, but they reckon they know where they've taken him. Yeah, I mean, like I said a little bit earlier, Bridget kind of gives the, the thing away here. She's like, oh, the soldier was here. And to the um, to Sean and these guys, the, the younger lads. Um, but, I mean, she had no choice, really. She's over a barrel here, isn't she? She's fucked if she does, fucked if she doesn't, basically. And then she's got bloody old um, Browning, Prometheus guy, pointing the gun to her head, saying he's going to kill her. And then, luckily for her, Boyle fucking pipes up. Oh, I think I know where the fuck they are. They're, they're in that hideout. So he sort of leads them all down there. So he kind of saves the day, in a way. He does, yeah. And you think old fucking Armitage is going to blunder it again, don't you? Because they're outside him and fake a pwn. And, um... <laughs> Like obviously Prometheus and Boris, I will go in, we'll give you the signal when to move in. And they're all there actually in their riot gear, like fucking one day too late. Um and yeah. old fake fake opponents like, you know, all right, sweetheart, should we move in? And Armitage's like, oh no, no, they said they give us, you know, the, the signal to move in. And you think, oh god, he's gonna cock it up again, but he doesn't, he kind of saves the day in the end. 
He does. And that shootout was quite good, isn't it? It's quite short and tense, but it, it, again, it looks quite realistic. Not been involved in a shootout before, but I imagine it looks quite realistic. And I thought the acting between all three of them, you've got Sean pointing the gun at um, Hook, Quinn egging him on, you've got to fucking shoot him, you've got to do this, you've got to prove yourself. I mean, again, Sean doesn't say anything, but just the way he stood there, almost shaking. Obviously, Hook is fucking physically shaking. He thinks he's going to get his head blown off, and Quinn's egging him on to fucking do it. I thought, again, really tense scene and really well acted between the three of them. Yeah, it's brilliant. And you saying there about the shootouts, I love the way they're shot in this. Like, no pun intended, all the shooting. But um, <laughs> like, but all the kind of... The kill shots are so sudden, aren't they? Like, the bit where, um, yeah. obviously, what's-his-face... Um, Runs upstairs when he hears all the shooting and everything. Old James Quinn, he runs off and leaves um, Sean pointing the gun at old uh, Hook there. And then um, the guy, what's his face from the um, the MRFR, whatever they're called, MRF, um, he comes around and he just literally spins around the corner and fucking blasts uh, Sean, like, without even blinking, does he? Like, it's such a quick tactical turn and it's just so sudden and so full on. But I'd imagine that's what, like, kind of, like, trained special forces, TACOP people are made to do, aren't they? They see a situation and you just got to react. You can't fucking think about it. Yeah, I mean, he's a great character in the old Brownings. He looks so unassuming with his fucking hair and moustache, but he's a dead eye, and obviously he's an absolute arsehole. Um, so, yeah, he, he just doesn't look like his character at all, does he? Yeah, I'm assuming that's his point. He's undercover and everything, and he looks like a, a complete dick almost. But he's definitely... Well, he is a dick, but he certainly knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I mean, it was good to see Sean finally... I mean, it's not good to see anyone shoot anyone, but Sean's been egged on to kill poor old Hook, who didn't deserve it at all. But, old is it Lewis, the MRF guy? I mean, he was killing Hook for obvious reasons, but not very nice. Um, and he gets taken out, which, again, I was a bit shocked by, because you think, obviously, Sean's dead. And you just hear two shots, fucking Lewis falls forward, and there's Sean behind him. I thought that was quite good. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, but then I saw the Armitage, he's there, and he's seeing him being choked, and you think, oh, he's not going to save him. And then, like I say, Sean shoots Lewis, who's about to kill Hook. Then Armitage spins around and shoots Sean and that. But um, it's all pretty tense. But there's one bit here that I thought was pretty bad. Well, not bad, but it just seemed a bit sloppy, considering how well the rest of the movie had been shot. Because Lewis is proper, like, fucking choking Hook, like, down there about to, like, choke him to death. And then Sean shoots Lewis, and then Armitage spins around and shoots Sean. And Hook's like, no, no, don't shoot him. And then he just seems to be fine. So like, you would nearly like being choked to death. Your voice would be all haggard and fucked. But he's like, no, don't do it. And he just sounds absolutely normal. And then he's sat there and he's not even out of breath, despite the fact he was just being strangled to death. I just thought that was a little bit of a, you know, they could have done that bit a bit better. But it's not like a massive gripe. It just felt a bit weird. That's a really good point, actually, Greg Roll. And after watching this film three times, one I hadn't picked up on, yeah, he wouldn't be shouting normally, would he? He'd be all over the shop. <laughs> but, yeah, um... I mean, Sean was an arsehole at the end of the day, so pretty much everyone in this film gets their comeuppance, apart from Browning, really. I mean, even at the end, he's been an arsehole, telling, you know, Quinn he could have killed him, but no, he's turned him against Boyle. He's just turned everyone against each other, which is for his own cause, I suppose, so fair play, he's doing what he's, he's there to do. Um, and then we get the sort of couple, end couple of scenes there, we get the typical cover-up where... Everyone kind of knows what was going on, but we'll just put it down to a mix-up and, you know, a bit of confusion and cover it up and, and move on kind of thing. And then we get Hook goes to see his brother again, Darren. Again, assuming he's in that children's home, he's a complete arsehole to the guy there for reasons unknown. The guy's slow to come out to let him in, but he calls him a, a C-word and basically is a bit of an arsehole to him. And then he just he's on a coach with Darren going somewhere, I guess, home. I don't know. 
Left. Um, where is it? He lived Derbyshire, isn't it? He keeps saying he lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was in, um, he called the guy a zero because earlier on in the movie, when we first see him with his brother, he takes him back and the guy bollocks him because he's supposed to bring him back by sort of oh, tea yeah. time or something. And he's like, but yeah, he's a bit over the top of it, isn't he? Because he like fucking pushes the door and hits him in the face of it. And he's like, you <laughs> see, sort of thing. But obviously, he's been through a lot. So he's probably not in the best of moods. I'm sure we can forgive him. And like I say, he just sits on the bus with his brother, drives off, and away we go, end of the movie. But um, yeah, the bit at the end where he's like, being like you like we know as a cover-up and even like whoever it is the fucking bloke overseeing it the colonel or whoever he's like you've been lucky here son you've been lucky like obviously he knows what's going on and he's saying you're lucky because you should be dead but we're gonna kind of let you off and sweep it under the rug and away you go sort of thing yeah i mean he should have been dead as we said a bit earlier on there was three different factions after him so yeah. he was lucky i suppose although he shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place um, and obviously, as the synopsis said, they're just trading back a little bit. We see him throw the um, the dog tags into the sea as he's coming back to England on the ferry. I'm assuming that's it now. His army days are over. Well, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he was like medically discharged or like mm. something like that. Because obviously, in the army, in that, I know, but you sort of sign up for a term of service. I know there are times where obviously you can leave or you can be obviously dismissed in bits and pieces. But it's like, did they just agree to kind of, if he keeps his mouth shut, let him go? It's like, you can't just leave the army because otherwise that'd be like AWOL, won't it? And you can be court-martialed and all that shit for everything. But um, yeah, I don't know. He throws his dog tags away. Like you say, he might be leaving the army, but I thought you were quite new to the army. So if they let you go, they didn't really explain it. No, I mean, I, I, I'm not into how it works. But yeah, medically discharged seems a logical reason for him. You know, I mean, he's going to be suffering with PTSD after that. I mean, not saying yeah. many soldiers aren't, but... You think there would be grounds to medically just yeah, discharge him after what you've been through? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, it sort of like wraps up. I mean, I'm glad it didn't have a big drawn out ending. It didn't need it because um, some movies don't quite know when to wrap it up, do they? And they end up going on sort of 10, 20 minutes more than they need to. But I think this movie kind of used its runtime pretty well. Indeed, he read well. So should we look at giving it some scores then? Absolutely. And it was your choice. So uh, why don't you take it away? Hopefully, hopefully. So, um, as I said right at the start and probably a couple of times throughout it, um, we're not here to talk about the politics, but just look at the film. Um, as I mean, we have touched on what's going on over there, but not gone into it in any real depth. So, I mean, as we've pretty much said, this film is, is really well shot and it's got such a fucking gritty feel to it. Um, definitely not for the faint-hearted, I'd say. I mean, it's a 15-rated film, which probably is about right, but some of the scenes are definitely a bit fucking hell and close to the edge, shall we say. Um it's definitely dark and it's certainly not a happy film, but it was set in the era where things weren't happy and um, certainly in Belfast things weren't happy. I would say some of the scenes are a little drawn out, the bit where the bomb goes off and Hook's staggering around a bit. I mean, yeah, it's, it's setting up the scene and what happens next, but it does go on a bit. And a couple of the sort of manhunting scenes towards the end where he's sneaking around the flats. But, I mean, the film's only 99 minutes long, so it certainly doesn't outstay its welcome at all. And, um, I guess the way they're drawn out does add to the tension and what's actually going on. And then the music by David Holmes, that I said at the start, really adds to it as well. Um, I thought Jack O'Connor was excellent. And he doesn't really have a lot to say in the film. He says about 10 lines. Um, but just his whole mannerisms and everything, very believable. Supporting cast are all good. We've, we've mentioned a few as we've gone on. Um, all excellent. All do, do what they're there to do. Um, and I would say one thing, just touching on the political side, but not going into it at all, it doesn't really make out that either side are good. 
they're all arseholes and that's all I'll say on the matter. And it does that really very well. There's infighting on both factions. They're both in bed with each other on certain points. Um, so it certainly doesn't make out that either side is better than the other. Um, so I've watched this film three times now, as I said, although the second time was while I was working. It was just on in the background. And um, I've picked up on different bits each time. And I really do like it. Um, it's just dark and gritty. And I wouldn't say I enjoy it cause it enjoys the wrong words, but it's a really good film. Um, and there isn't really a happy point in the whole film until maybe the last scene when Hook does actually, you know, get to be with his brother, I'm assuming, for for the rest of the time. Who knows? Um, so I'm going to give this film a very strong three others. Um, and to be fair, it was Jan Durand, whatever his name is, it was his first ever film. So I'd say fair play. That's a pretty good effort. So a very strong three from me. What about yourself, Gregor? No, good stuff, JT. Well, um, yeah, I'd flick past this a couple of times. I saw it on Netflix and that. Um, so I was quite happy when you said, um, oh, let's do this one, because I like, oh, I've got my ass in gear now and actually watch it, because I've been meaning to for ages. And um, watched it about an hour, well, finished watching it about half an hour before we came up to record tonight. Um, yeah, I overall, I really liked it. I do like these movies. And as I said um, at the start of the thing, I like... I like these movies that are kind of bleak and drawn out. I don't know what that says about me, but I do like kind of bleak movies. Um, I just think they, they're not there for the normal entertainment factor. They're there more for the story factor. If that even makes sense, it probably doesn't. But they're not something that you watch, you know, popcorn movie, I'm going to have a good time for the next 90 minutes. They are something quite kind of, that you get a bit of an emotional attachment to and go on a journey with. Um, and I like those sorts of movies. Um, being, a, you know, fan of like, you know, sort of like history and bits and pieces as well. I mean, I'm not, massively familiar with this whole time period as such i know the broad strokes i said earlier on but um i always find it interesting watching films that touch on this and you made a really good point um and it is awesome that they didn't really kind of say these are the good guys these are the bad guys everyone was a bell end basically um and you know make of that what you will um however you watch this film as i say we didn't touch on the politics but it's a really good point you made there um, the way it's shot, fantastic. Loved it. I like the pacing. Um, you say a couple of bits were a little bit drawn out, but not too much of a 90-minute movie overall. It didn't outstay its welcome. But, yeah, just the look and feel of it and the music and just how kind of grim and sort of like close in it was. All the sort of like tension and everything was really brought to life on screen. Great performances all round. I'm not massively, by name anyway, familiar with the director. I might have seen other of his movies. I'm not sure. But I've, after watching this... I'm definitely going to um, IMDB him and just sort of see what else he's done. One, to see if I have actually seen any of his other work. And two, to find some more of his work to um, look at. So is that, you know, half as good as this, then it's definitely worth watching. Um, yeah, really enjoyed this film. I'm glad you recommended it. I will watch it again. Um, I think I would need to watch it again just to take it all in, really, and fully get everything. So I'm going to echo your score on this one and give it a good strong three. Um I don't know if it goes into the war movie category, conflict movie, absolutely. But um, I do like my sort of war films and stuff. And I think this is definitely one uh, that's worth a watch out there if you like these sort of um, kind of historical movies. But like you said earlier on, it's not for the faint at heart. So just, you know, be beware before you click play, basically. Get the kids out of the room. But um, yeah, three others from me, JT. Oh, good stuff, Redwell. I thought you'd like it. Um, and I watched it first a few like, months ago and I thought about putting it forward but obviously it is a controversial subject and I thought is it worth doing it or just recommending you watch it and I thought no I'm going to put it forward because I know he'll fucking watch it because if I just tell him to watch it he won't get around to it ever and I thought <laughs> it's a film you would probably like and you needed to watch so yeah no I'm glad you enjoyed it mate 
Oh, well, there we go. So, um, yeah, let us know what you think of this movie. 71, available on Netflix at the moment. Um, JT's choice, of course. But, yeah, get in touch at uh, the Hyperbaric Goats on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, let us know if you think uh, the movie's good. Um, do you think we scored it justly? Uh, give us a shout. And join us next time as it's my turn to choose. And we're going to go for something... I've said how much I like bleak movies and um, over-flashy movies, but I should go for a movie that is a little bit flashy. And I've only seen it once, but it really was quite amusing. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it just popped up on Netflix. And this is a confusing movie because it has two names. um, And I don't know which one's right, but I call it Edge of Tomorrow, but it's also called Live, Die, Repeat in some regions. It's got Tom Cruise and Emily uh, Blunt in it. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, JT, but it's just appeared on Netflix. And I remember it being quite amusing. I have not seen it, Bread Roll. Um, something completely different then, because we've been kind of a bit dark the last couple of episodes. So I'm assuming this one's obviously, I'm not saying it's going to be comedy, but it's going to be a bit lighter, maybe. Yeah, a bit a bit more Hollywood as well. And a little uh, tidbit as well, which I'm sure you'll appreciate. It's actually the last movie from the late, great Bill Paxton, who I remember being ah. it, but it's his last movie um, oh, okay. in there as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, not the, it's not a comedy by any stretch. It's quite a kind of in-your-face movie, but um, yeah, it should be an interesting one. I hope you enjoy it, but we'll find out next time. Ah, uh, yeah, good stuff. You know, I like a bit of Bill Paxton, so yeah, I'm up for that one. So there we are. Next week, Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whatever you call it from whatever part of the world you're in, that is what we're aiming to do. And thank you very much for joining us. This is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. I'm not going to lie to you. This is going to hurt like a fucker. <laughs>